Welcome to the On Target Living Podcast, a place where health and human performance meet. Uh, we have a treat for you guys today. Um, my good friend, colleague, longtime, I don't know, whatever, spiritual pal, uh, Dr. Phil <laughs> Nuremberg is in the house today. Uh, he's in from, with his wife, Debbie, in from uh, Pennsylvania, and he's been spending a few days with us and helping our team. But uh, we wanted to bring a, a couple podcasts to you and um, pick this guy's brain, because this, this man is probably one of the top people in the world on the mind. And um, I got the privilege to work with uh, Dr. Phil. Gosh, we've been working together for almost 15 years now. But when I tell a story, when we first got together, we did a, a personality oh profile. And there was uh, A, B, C, and D. And you had to answer the questions. And I remember still, we were laughing about this uh, in the last couple of days. But we took this profile and Dr. Phil was way over in the one end of the spectrum. And guess who was right next to him? It was me. And I kept thinking, this guy's a nut job. But reality over time, as I learned more about what he was talking about, it was stuff that I was not really that exposed to. You know, we here at Ontario Living, we're exposed to, you know, the eating and the, the, the moving and all that stuff. But the mind was something that this guy started talking about and it really opened my awareness or began to open my awareness of that, all the possibilities. And as we talked the other day, you know, Phil said this the best uh, yesterday with the group that we train the body, but we don't train the mind. And you see that so much today and all the challenges we're facing. So anyway, I wanted to just kind of open it up a little bit of that. And then we're just going to do a little Q&A back and forth and talk. But uh why don't you just tell the listeners and the viewers a little bit about just kind of your journey and just, you know, open yeah. it up and we'll get going here. Well, I had a traditional education up through my PhD level. And then I was fortunate enough to meet a, a very powerful yoga master from the Himalayas who came to the West to teach yoga as a science, not as a philosophy or a religion, but as a science, an experimental science. And so I was taught in this very powerful tantric tradition how to explore my inner reality. And of course, that really deals with what happens in my I was a psychology major, so I was always interested in why do people do what they do? Why do they think what they think? What is this interesting thing we call a mind? But I went through the whole of my graduate studies. I never found any, any, any person there who could teach me anything about the mind. I learned about tests and measurements and counseling techniques, but nobody could really teach me about the mind. And when I first heard this individual, he gave the most brilliant talk on the human mind that I've ever heard in my life. And that convinced me that this man knew something that I wanted to learn. And so I spent actually the last now 50 years really trying to study this phenomenon we call the human mind and understand how these very interesting people could regulate and control their body and their thought processes, and of course their emotions, and do it simply and easily. And what I found was that this is a very fascinating internal science. They know the inner technology, whether you're uh, um, the martial arts master, the real ones, not the, not the people who fight every day for a living, but the real martial arts masters, the tantric masters, the yoga masters, the great spiritual masters of all traditions, for instance, like the Dalai Lama or some of the great Christian saints. 
These people really understood the relationship of body, mind, and spirit, and how to unite these into a really holistic process that allowed them to see the world and the reality with great clarity. And that, that is what intrigued me now for the last 50 years. Yeah, because I think you, you know, your whole company, strategic intelligence of how yeah. to use the mind. Right. So you think about it. We, we tell our children that we should, they should control their emotions, but no one shows them how to do that. Right. They say, well, you should, you should learn how to concentrate, but no one shows them how. Right. And these people know how to do that because they understand the mind at, at a depth that we never even touched in Western psychology. Maybe the closest person who came to it was, was uh, Carl Jung. And, and he had some good insights, but he didn't know the depth of the processes internally like these people do and the functions that mind actually is. Well, and especially today with all the mental health issues we're going through, and we were talking about this last night, yeah. that why isn't this not taught in school? Oh, and we were I, I talking, and we were thinking, you know, like we we're debating today who's more of a, a zealot, you or me, in our space, and yeah. <laughs> and we realize realizing it's not really neither one of them is correct. What this should be normal. This should you be know, normal. Eating yeah. real food or moving your body or learning how to breathe and how to balance your nervous system should be right. normal. It right. shouldn't be uh, like some kind of freak show that sometimes we're we're labeled like, wow, you guys are really extremists. You're, like, you're weird. You're weird, right? Yeah. So. As a time when I first thought met you, yeah. I thought you were weird, and then I realized. Well, you never asked me what I thought about you, that's so true. you know, went <laughs> right. in the same category, right? So let's uh, let's begin. A couple of things you you taught me early on, and I've always kind of been this way, but you were really about curiosity, yeah, and asking a better question. Why don't you elaborate that on a little bit? Curiosity more? to me is more than just being interested. It's really a driving force. It's a it's a spiritual force. It, we ask, why does this happen? It takes us into space, for God's sakes. Mm-hmm. It takes us into every science. Yeah. And one of the things that always disturbed me is how we do educate our children. We, we fill their heads with information, but that's not training. That's information. And then we tell the kids, well, read this book because we're going to test you on this knowledge. We want to make sure you know what this book says. But that's not learning. The only thing we should ask children is, well, read the book, read these books. Now, what do you think and why do you think that? Don't grade them on their answer. Ask them why they thought that, so that they can learn these inner processes of how to think clearly, how to focus on things. We don't teach them how to focus. And there are very simple ways that these great masters know that trained concentration skills. You talk to a psychologist about concentration, he says, well, you know, it's learning how to focus. Okay, well, how do I do that? Well, you, you practice focusing. Well, on what? Well, well, you just practice. There's no end to the, right. there's no it answer. It goes on and on. It goes on and on. So what I liked about the tradition, particularly the tradition that, that took my interest so deeply, the tantric tradition, was there were very specific ways that you train your ability to focus attention. It was, specific to concentration. And I thought, wow, I couldn't find that anywhere. And when we talk about mental health, you know, as I know, and I guess the whole world knows, the last couple of years with this COVID process, people are going nuts. Mm -hmm. And they're going nuts because they don't have the internal skills to regulate their internal states. And it's not 
it's not rocket science. These are very simple techniques that people need to practice over time so that they develop a skill. You don't expect an Olympic swimmer to become an Olympic swimmer overnight. They start by learning how to swim and then they practice the different strokes. They practice and practice and practice until they really develop a high degree of skill. How do you think you could regulate this very powerful influence we call a mind, this powerful tool we have, by saying, or by reading a book? That's not gonna happen. What are the specific tools we need to practice that we do have control over our emotional reactions? That we do have the ability to have clarity in our logical processes that are influenced by deep patterns in the unconscious mind. Yeah, because I think that's the that's the big thing. You know, you and I have talked. I mean, some of our favorite things to do of all time is training. Yeah, and the training is because we have time with people to actually let them yeah. practice it. And and so I think that's the big thing we talked about that last night is like, what's our been our favorite thing to do? It's it's yeah, we get it's fun to be up on a, a big stage and all that, but the really fun part is actually the training part of it. Over time. You know, right. this has been so frustrating for both of us that yeah. we'll go into a corporation and they'll say, Okay, we want one day, but that's it. Well fine, you can read the books yourself. Why do you need us to tell you about yeah. the books? Here are the techniques, but let's work with your people over a space time right. so they get those techniques down and we know that they're they're ingrained in that individual's behavior so that they can sustain that technique well enough to develop the skill. Well, and again, you, you know, with, with, with many corporations are now being more aware of that, whether it's the app or whatever, but it's the training yeah. that I believe, you believe that is missing yes. to really have your people have like the instrument of their mind that they have the ability to pivot along the way, yes. especially with what we've been going through for the last you know, year and a half. It's 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 it has to happen at some point in time. What would happen to the drug addiction? What would happen to the criminal behavior? What would happen to the rampant egotism? What would happen to the depression? All these things that have come out to the fore in this COVID crisis. If people have been trained from an early age on how to self-manage, right? Right. It's not rocket science. And you know that just like we've been talking, it's space training over time, over time. that develops skill. Mm -hmm. It's not a one shot deal. Ever. Right. It's space training over space time. Space training over time. over time. The other thing, too, you and I've talked about for many, many years is about beliefs. I have this new book coming out. Yeah. I have a whole chapter called The Box of Beliefs. You were a really big part of me thinking about beliefs. So why don't you talk a little bit about that just well, to share with people? The interesting thing about beliefs is a double-edged sword. You know, you can't live your life without a, a, a good, well-thought-out belief system. But beliefs are not little boxes that you live in. For most people, they have a belief and they live in that little box, they never change. Beliefs are actually stepping stones so that you step out of that belief system into a greater, more effective belief system, and you continually keep that process growing through life. And the drive behind that, of course, is the curiosity to learn more. The curiosity. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, I was listening to some expert talking on television or the other uh, about a week ago saying, well, we got to teach our children to learn. You don't have to teach children to learn. You, you get out of their way. Every human being starts out wanting to learn. We call it play, but that's how we learn as children. And then once those children get old enough, we begin to structure that place so that they now become a, a sort of a scientist, so that they can structure that place so that they begin to make sure that the outcome is getting where they want to go. 
So in a sense, we become a scientist and become, we learn how to experiment. We call that education, right? Then once we've educated, then we have to go out and test ourselves and deal with the issues that we're going to have to face of, of success and failure. And how do we handle ourselves in that process? So we have to become a warrior in that sense. Right. And a warrior, the first thing a warrior has to learn is fearlessness. How to fail and accept that as a learning lesson and not be discouraged or harmed by that. Because we will all fail at some point or another, often. Yeah, because we talk about all the time, like, we don't teach you diet, we teach you how to pivot. Yes. Because you have to make mistakes, you have to fail, you have to try things and experiment along the way. And that's kind of what you're talking about. In fact, you have one of your books kind of talking about that. Yeah. And, but, and you have to find out what works for you. Right. Because what you need may not be what I need. Right. They'll be very close, but I have to be aware of when I eat. What, how does that food affect me? Mm -hmm. What is it? If I read a book, it says, well, you eat this and this and this, and that'll, that'll do that. Well, maybe, but let me eat that and that and see what it is. Right. You always talk about the proof's in the pudding. The proof's in the pudding. Proof's yeah. in eating the pudding. Eating the pudding. Yeah. Not just in the pudding. Yeah. And paying attention to what happens yeah. after you eat it. Yeah. How do I feel after I've eaten it, <laughs> yeah. right? If I ate too much or too too late at night or whatever. Yeah. So some of, from a belief standpoint, one of the things I I was really curious when you talked about you you've been you've taught at the Wharton School of Business mm -hmm. for many, many years. Tell us, tell them a little bit about the graduate students that you were, oh. uh, how that came about. I just thought that's a really interesting piece about beliefs. Well, you know, I, I taught in a couple of different universities, MBA courses on the executive mind. And um, I, I worked at Wharton with the executive education program, but I had a, 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 somebody who had taken my training in the hospital who started developing programs for the graduate students. So he asked me to come in and give a seminar for the graduate students on this training, right? And I said, oh, yeah, that'll be a lot of fun because these are young, interesting, curious minds. Curious. Yeah, curious, right? <laughs> so I went in and I, I did this training and I went through all this stuff and I did the demonstrations. I did the exercises. And at the end, I said, okay, let's have a Q&A. What is it that you don't understand? What can we do to really clarify here? And yeah. the kid said, well, how is knowing about the mind useful? <laughs> I, 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 was, I was so stunned, Chris. <laughs> I just looked at him. I think I stuttered. I, I, because uh, I, I couldn't believe that this kid would ask me that question after going through that. Why training. is it useful? Why is it useful? Well, I, I, I should have said, well, do you think about anything? Right? I did have an incident one time when I was working in a hospital, uh, hospital for special surgery in New York, and they had a research psychologist and their staff in there, and I, other the. For me, being a psychologist, knowing I have a psychologist in the room is going to be a problem, right? Because I know the, the thinking, right? Right, the beliefs. Yeah, the belief system. And I'm going through and I'm talking about the research of the, the mentor that I studied with and his research at the Minager Clinic and all the things that he was doing with his mind and the ability to do stuff, right? And some guy was getting more and more, I could see him, he's starting to move in his seat and getting more agitated. And I, he said, raised his hand and said, well, yeah, what's up? He says, don't tell me you're trying to th tell me there's something outside the brain that you call a mind. I said, well, the evidence is pretty clear. You can look at the evidence. 
He says, wow, and he got all frustrated, right? Because he just couldn't accept that. Finally, after about five minutes of sitting there being agitated, raised his hand again. I said, okay, what? He said, well, do I have to stay here? I said, well, no, you can make up your own mind about that. And he got <laughs> up and left. <laughs> I said, okay, you yeah. know, it's that power of belief. Yeah, the beliefs are a big deal. Yeah. So if you, so let's begin um, talking a little bit about, you know, using the mind as an instrument and how the autonomic nervous system yeah. Because you have control of it. So, t- so t- take the listeners and the viewers in, into that kind of... Well, let's, let's, let's call that stress then. Let's talk right. about stress. Stress. And, and let me first talk about how most people think about stress. Because it's not productive. They say, well, there's good stress or bad stress. Because any arousal now to them is stress. Because they're focused only on one half of the nervous system that regulates the body, the autonomic nervous system. So there's good stress and bad stress. The problem is... You don't know you've got bad stress until after you've had the heart attack. So as, as scientific theory, it's, it's lousy because it's not predictive. Mm. And the whole point of having scientific theory is this predictive value. Okay? So if you shift and say, okay, wait a minute, where is that, where does all that change happen? Well, it happens through the control systems of the body. And the main control system in the body is the autonomic nervous system. The term autonomic comes from the word autonomous. So when we're taught in our high school, <coughs> excuse me, when we're taught in our high school health class by the assistant basketball coach or the assistant <laughs> typing teacher, they read to you a book, you cannot control certain parts of your body. Well, who's doing it? Oh, the infinite one. God doesn't do it. Maybe the neighbor girl is doing it, a teenage boy. Yeah, that's probably true. But the reality is we're in perfect control of the body at every moment. The difficulty is we're not aware of the control systems. So when we talk about stress, we look at animal research and we have theory about it. And the theory sounds nice. Well, good stress, bad stress. So you make up lists about what not to do and what to do. But the problem is those lists don't work because what creates a problem for me is is joy for you. So where's the stress? How are you going to get rid of the stress? But if we go into the control system and look specifically at the autonomic system that has two parts, you're sympathetic that creates arousal and that works right down through the spine. So you'll have instant arousal anywhere in the body at all time, at any time. Mm-hmm. The parasympathetic is much more site specific. It comes right out of the limbic system, comes down through the throat, separates into two pathways, calls the left and right, uh, uh, sympathetic nervous system. From what I understand, and I don't know this for sure, but from what I understand my training, it's primarily the right sympathetic nervous system that regulates the heart and the lungs, but I, I can't, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, that's just the, the theory that I've heard, okay? But I do know that as it passes through the lungs and innervates all the rest of the body, that relationship of the sympathetic and parasympathetic allows us to function. Mm. So if I want to be excited, the sympathetic is more dominant. If I want to rest, digest my food, sleep, the parasympathetic will be more dominant. One is arousal, sympathetic, inhibition is parasympathetic, slowing down, Mm -hmm. okay? It's the relationship here that's key. When that relationship is in harmony, the body and mind work together effectively and there's no disturbance, there's no stress. Stress specifically means to me autonomic imbalance. If it's imbalanced too much on the on the sympathetic side, you have good stress. 
or stress. You have too much arousal. You get burnout, fatigue, these kinds of problems. If you're unbalanced and you're dominated somewhere in a parasympathetic system, then you've got things like depression, withdrawal, passivity, uh, lethargy. Yeah, yeah. atrophy. Atrophy. Mm-hmm. Atrophy. Um, so if, if you know how to bring the system into harmony, then you know how to prevent stress from occurring. Or if stress has happened, to again rebalance the system quickly so that the stress doesn't become problematic. So let's go back for just a second. So again, you're talking about there really, there's a lot of myths around stress. Yeah. There's good and bad stress, that's a myth. Real men don't have stress. So what would be another myth around stress? Real men don't have stress. Real men give it. That's what it is. Yeah. I, re- yeah, I remember a guy giving a seminar up in, in Canada and the guy says, I don't have any stress. And I looked at him. I said, yeah, but I bet the people who work for it do. He says, oh, they sure do. <laughs> because he gave it to him. Right? Yeah. He was so angry and so intense. So there's a lot of myths around stress. I think a lot of times people don't really understand that if you feel threatened and it, then yeah. it becomes yeah. it becomes physical. Well, if there's if there's if we look at the sources of stress, your environment is one source. Too much wetness, too much dryness, that can destabilize your internal system. Sure. You can react to that. Right. If you're freezing, hot and cold. And, yeah. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. If you're freezing or burning, you you got a right. problem. That's minor. More important, and and I'm going to put these two together because both of them are really critical: diet and movement. If you don't have a if you don't have a good diet, the right diet for you, right nutrition, mm-hmm. balanced nutrition, and you don't have balanced movement, you're creating a destabilization through the process through the biochemistry and the lack of energetics in the body. That is a major source of stress. But to me, the most significant source is the thought process mm-hmm. because even your thought process would determine whether you exercise or eat right food or not. Yeah, it's those habits in the mind. Taste is a matter of Acquirement. Yeah. Right? So again, it's the the whole variety of things. The whole that, boss thing. Yeah. yeah. So it's the whole thing that that gets people sideways. And when you were talking a um, little bit about this last night, when you look at the stress itself and these stressors out there, um, again, we talked about the environment, whatever. But when you think about the diseases of today versus the diseases of the past, right. you know, all this worry out there and you hear about anxiety and we talk about like when we do our webinars on you know stress and the immune system we talk about you know when you think about anxiety what's the we always say you got to get back in your body you know it's yeah. the water it's the eating it's the movement but again where you're going in this too is how are you actually now that you have this control center that people don't realize even they have the, this control yeah. center so first question is how do i regulate that control center how do you regulate control center and that's breathing Remember those passages where that, that um, parasympathetic system passes through the lung cavity, innervates the lungs, the heart, and then on down into your organ systems. When you breathe, the actual movement of the lungs has a direct impact on that sympa- parasympathetic system, which in turn to the limbic system, which in turn to the sympathetic, of course. So if I breathe in what is called normal breathing, I mean, breathe with my chest, I am actually sending a message to my nervous system, to my brain, to the emotional center of my brain that says at a very subtle level, hey, get ready, there's something out there going to get you. 
you are doing the body's emergency respiratory mechanism, and that's chest breathing. The, and that's the chest breathing. That's chest breathing. You're going to go into a fight or flight reaction. So if you could get people, and again, you said this a long time ago, but like for people who have high blood pressure or they're having this issue or that issue, if you change how you breathe, because I remember, you know, everybody used to say, Phil talks about breathing all the time. I'm like, yeah, because you don't understand. That's the that's the first way to control that's the first, the, this, first this, this autonomic nervous yeah. system that... Most people, as you were, you know, we're t- you're talking in the beginning, most people don't really believe that you have control. Yeah. But you completely have control. Well, that's the word, term autonomic. You know, right, it's autonomic. Uh, back in the 1970s, I ran a clinical biofeedback program in a big neurology center. And every problem I dealt with was a stress problem because they had the symptoms like headaches, chronic headaches. They'd have headaches for 20 years. Once we changed the way they breathe, the headaches and uh, taught them basic relaxation and they became skilled at deep relaxation, headaches disappeared. Well, well high blood pressure sure. went away. Well, we were talking about like magnesium is a really powerful mineral that it comes yeah. from what we, and so we were always talking about magnesium foods and it's good for right. your blood pressure and it's good for your yeah. contraction of the heart and help you stay asleep and whatever. But much more powerful than that is changing how you breathe. Changing how you breathe. Because, right. you know, magnesium is a mineral relaxation, but breath is the the big kahuna yeah. for for yeah. balancing yeah. the nervous system. And again, it's it's the whole picture. The whole you picture. Know? And yeah. when I when you look at the source of high blood pressure, ninety some percent of all high blood pressure is called essential hypertension. That means they don't know what's causing it. I'll tell you what's causing it. It's a stress reaction in your vascular system. You take away the stress reaction, the blood pressure normalizes. Right, because the first thing that happens when you move into the parasympathetic nervous system is, you know, everything starts to relax. Everything begins to come down. That's why you rest and digest. That's right. You know, and so when a person is, you know, if you're running from that tiger, you're not worried about digesting your food. No, no. Or when people say to me, well, I have low testosterone levels, men and women. The reason being is that your stress hormones are gobbling up your building your sex yeah, hormones. Yeah. Because you, the body doesn't care about you having sex if yeah. you're running from a tiger. That's right. right. Or, or worried about the next payment or, or anything. Or worried about whatever. Yeah. It doesn't matter whether the tiger's there or not. Yeah. Right? No, no. Most of the time, I like what Mark Twain said. I am a man of many worries, most of which never happen. <laughs> right? But that's true of all right. of us, right? Open huh? the bottle of wine before it's time. Yeah. Right? What yeah. did you say yesterday? You said I don't solve a problem before it's time. Before it's time. And when it's right here in front of me, most people are solving problems in their mind that don't exist. Right. They may exist, but you don't know that until they're there in front of you. And so when we have people that feel like that, they're trying to solve all these problems in the future. That's the anxiety. That's we're, the anxiety we're dealing about. So again, you say, okay, so now if that's the issue, how do I bring myself, how do I control my instrument? And so you're talking, again, first step would be breath awareness. Well, the first step is, um, first of all, once you establish the diaphragm, get them breathing every night. Get them using the diaphragm first. And we will have videos here on that and how to do that. But the second step is how do you control the mind chatter? People think, well, I'm thinking. No, no, you're just talking to yourself. <laughs> if you really paid attention to the stuff that goes through your mind, what you think today, you think again tomorrow and the day after today. <laughs> what the heck? You know, this is good. You just nuts. keep repeating it. You keep repeating it. So if you watch the mind, the mind has a capacity to go on what we call the future. It has a capacity to go on what we call the past. It has a capacity to pay attention to right now. What I like to do is ask people to show me a future or a past here in the room. And they look around and say, well, 
that doesn't exist. I say, that's right. It does not exist. Both past and future are fantasies. Now, we may need to do a little bit of fantasizing. If I'm planning a meeting for tomorrow, we're planning a conference, we need to think about the future. Mm-hmm. Mine has a wonderful capacity to look into the future. In fact, there is a part of the mind, we won't talk about this yet, but maybe later, there's a part of the mind that will tell you exactly what the future will look like based on what you've done here today. And that's the most intuitive, most subtle uh, part of the mind, very powerful, and one of the ways of knowledge sure. in the mind. But what we're talking about now is the mind chatter. Mind chatter. So if the our mind, mind, if our mind, cha- our monkey mind is up there and then we're doing something effective and problem solving, no problem. If we're going in the past and say, well, look, hmm, that didn't work well because this happened and we didn't do that right. Okay, here, we're going to adjust this for that. That's fine. That's a good use of past and future. But the moment that you go to the future and you inter- put a threat in there, the threat comes and in. And can I worry any kind of threat, personal threat, might be my finances, not 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 necessarily a threat to my body, right. but it could be someone pointing a knife at you mm-hmm. or a threat to your finances or your family or something. Any pers- anything you think might create some harm for you, psychological, physical, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. That moment now, the connection between mind and body gets disrupted. And we call that the fight or flight response. You have over-energized what's going into the body. Body can't deal with what's not there for the body because the body only deals with what's present. Right, it's present. So mind and body are out of sync. You are into the fight or flight mm. situation and now you've got a real problem. And again, you're talking about going in the past from experience or in the future could be very beneficial. Yeah. But it's now you're talking about learning how to use the tool or the instrument. Right. Versus, okay, I'm going into the future, but it's all now I'm getting threatened. Can I pay yeah. my mortgage? You know, if you go, look one step underneath that. Why would you feel threatened if you were genuinely self confident? Right? So uh, ultimately, and we'll get to this at some point, the problem is most people are not at all confident of mm-hmm. who they are. Most people build their confidence on being successful. You're building anxiety at a subtle level mm-hmm. in the mind. So let's just deal with this threat. Right. Okay, now that's one side. Let's go back to the other side. Remember, we got the other half too. How many people beat up on themselves? How many times do people have a negative thought about themselves? Now you're dealing with the past and you're dealing in this realm called self-hatred instead of fear. Yeah, and you de-energize right. the system now. You're throwing yourself under the bus. You're throwing yourself. How many times? <laughs> we do it all the time. Oh man, that we, was really we, stupid. We trash talk ourselves. We trash talk ourselves. Yeah. yeah. And we do it constantly. You can't imagine how much damage you're doing to your immune system with that kind of business. That so, is so, so damaging on so many levels. So when you're working with people and you get into the conversation about them going in the past and trash talking, do you actually have them try to recognize the con- yeah. the consistent conversation they're having with themselves? First of all, yeah, that's one part of it. There's, a, there's several different strategies that need to come into play. One, you need to, uh, it's all self-awareness comes down to that. Mm-hmm. But the first thing, how do I take control of this mind chatter? So if I told you to stop thinking, well, I'll think about not thinking, but that's thinking, <laughs> you know, that doesn't work. But right. the interesting thing that you learn about in Tantra is that the conscious mind only does two things. It, it thinks or it feels. Mm-hmm. Feeling means it, it's going on the sensory. It may see, but mostly it's feeling that we really, that's the strongest sense, okay? So if my mind is running amok, what if I shifted to a state of feeling? And mm. this is where breath comes in and the mind comes in So you're together. trying to get them to move from 
the thinking to the feeling. To the feeling. It is very simple. All you have to do is all of a sudden become aware of the subtle touch of air flowing in and out of the nostrils. When you breathe in, there's a very subtle touch of coolness inside the nostrils. When you breathe out, if you all of a sudden focus on that feeling, not think about the feeling, but you focus on feeling that, watch what happens to the thought. It disappears. You cannot think and you can't attend to a thought and a feeling at the same moment. Conscious mind does not do that. Unconscious mind does it, but not conscious mind. So if you're trying to get somebody to reframe their conversations with each other, before that, you're teaching them about thinking and feeling. I'm saying this is how you stop talking to this yourself. This is how you, the mind shatter, the monkey yeah. mind disappears. So when the thought comes, they're talking about me, instead of building a house and a village and a city in there with other thoughts, you catch that first thought, wait a minute, clear my mind. You done create the disturbance. You're free to be go where you want to go. But I think you said this at the very beginning, you have to have time and space to be able to train this. You have to practice. How can you? you practice. Yeah, how can you, if you do it, it works immediately. Because I can't tell you how many people I've you know, shared some of the stuff that you've shared with me about the monkey mind and the in the the feeling but then they'll say well it didn't work i'm like you did it for two seconds yeah you didn't you're not practicing this like anything else i, I had you do it right now right well one of the trainings that we we used to do when we had time when, when we, we had time yeah with the uh, eplt yeah remember i'd have them sit together and talk to each other and while one person was talking the other person had to just focus on their breath right and and a lot of them would focus on their breath a little bit but they would get interested in listening to that and they would be internally reacting to that. So when I had people talk to them and they're saying something positive about them, at the end of three minutes and they were done talking and done practicing breath awareness, I'd say, how many people like what they heard? Everybody rose their hand. I said, you weren't doing breath awareness because you were evaluating and thinking about what you were hearing because you liked it. Mm -hmm. But that's where you get caught because if you like it, you're going to listen to the stuff you don't like. But again, so the point of the, having this conversation is how do you take this back in your world and make it beneficial to you? So one of the exercises you had everybody do is the three-minute uh, breath awareness, breath awareness yeah. by, and somebody's doing the talking. Yeah. And it was funny to watch people in the group. They would be squirming because they couldn't talk or they couldn't answer yeah. or respond. Right. Be, they just had to sit there quietly yeah. for three minutes and it was such a great skill because then you came back and we did it again and they started being more you know in more the focused. present yeah and that was it was it, really, it really, took a little while it took a little while but when i first learned this chris i i was working for the university at the time that was a long time ago and um i had a, a watch that beeped every hour and so i set that watch to go off every hour every time it beeped i practiced breath awareness Every time I opened the drawer on my desk, there was a little piece of paper that said, breathe, sucker, right? So I kept reminding myself to come back to the breath. When you and I are talking, I don't think about what you're saying. I don't have to. Well, I know what I know. If I don't know it, I say, I don't know that, right? But I'm not going to think about what you're saying because I want to hear what you're saying. And I want to hear not what the words are saying. I want to hear what the body language is telling me. I want to hear what the changes around the corners of the mouth, around the eyes. Mm -hmm. I want to feel what you're saying as well as hear it. So when I do breath awareness, I am tuning into my whole sensory process, not just feeling. I'm also hearing more clearly. I'm feeling more clearly and seeing more clearly. 
So there are a lot of things because I'm tuning into the sensory modality mm -hmm. rather than the thinking process of the mind. And again, like at the very beginning, you had to set your watch. Yeah, to I had to practice. Yeah, you had to practice. That's right. And it was important to you. But then as you learn the skill, right. it just kept expanding. And I think that's the challenge. People re don't realize that it's such a powerful I mean, it's like this amazing tool uh, yeah, that, mind that you get so excited about that I get excited about because as I've learned over the years, I'm like, this is an amazing tool. Yeah. You know, we just have to practice it and continue to refine it. And sometimes people will have a quick, I remember doing something for Stifle in St. Louis. And um, I had a, 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 this really nice, attractive, tall blonde lady come in and sit in the class. And I could tell she was, she was really, she was paying attention, right? And she left and she came back. She found me in the hall about an hour later. She said, Dr. Phil, Dr. Phil, she says, I just had the most difficult phone conversation. She said, I did breath awareness. I wasn't bothered at all. <laughs> I said, you got it. Yeah. And I, I, she will practice now. She will practice. Yeah, because now you bring it into your world. Now bring it into your world. So whether you're yeah. having a, a, a t conversation with a tough conversation at work or uh, with a relationship with your family member yeah. or whatever, you have the skill to yeah. be, you know, that use that tool right away to, to keep you in balance. Let me tell you another story about that. When I was doing an MBA class, I had this Polish guy who was, this was so weird to him. I mean, he and he admitted, he said, this is the strangest class I've ever had, right? <laughs> and, and finally, and, and he left, and after the class, I saw him a little bit later, he says, I gotta tell you this, right? He says, I was out cutting my lawn one day on my tractor, and my wife came in and said, well, our teenage daughter gives us some problems once in a while. And my wife came out and said, you know, our daughter came in late last night. She didn't tell us where she was at. You got to go in and reprimand her, right? Because she, she did the wrong thing and she knows it. And so I, I took one more track of my driver on my tractor, one more drive on my tractor, and I practiced my breath awareness. And then when I went in, she would always get soft and she'd cry and I'd feel a little bit bad and she'd always kind of manipulate me like that. <laughs> so I went in and I did the whole thing with my breath awareness and I Nothing worked for her, and I disciplined her, and I, there was no fighting, no argument. Right. I went back out on my tractor, got on my tractor, started again. My wife came out and stopped me. She said, who are you, and what did you do with my husband? <laughs> because I could behave so differently because I was in control of myself. Correct. Correct. And what a skill. What a skill. Yeah, and sometimes I'm like, I'm just scratching my head. Why is this not taught at an early age? Because you know. it's such a skill. And as you said at the very beginning with, you know, uh, the, the sleep medications we're on today, the pain medications, the, the mental health medications. I mean, so and, and you, we, as you know, the stress is linked to what percentage of most diseases? Uh, I would say almost 100% except your purely genetic diseases. And you don't live long when you have a purely genetic disease. You're dead by the age of six or seven. Mm -hmm. Anything else stresses It's all tied together. It's all tied together. We're yeah. one human being. Yeah, because again, when we talk about the mind, and we talk about the immune system. Well, the immune system really originates in the gut. Yeah. But and if you don't goes, eat the right food, right. what's going to happen? And then you can't sleep. But if, again, if you don't have the mind, you can't have a healthy gut. Yeah. So people just have the complete disconnect that I'm going to have this. I'm going to eat fantastic, but yeah. I don't understand this thing called stress and how to relax and calm and you know i drink that weed juice you told me to drink how come i still feel like this <laughs> it's 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 all part of that old, yeah, the whole, that's all part whole, of the whole thing. deal so um all right so as we we kind of wrap this up is there anything else you want to share i mean we're going to do some more stuff with you yeah. but um for our conversation today is there anything else we want to kind of jump into there are two things 
practice diaphragmatic breathing as we'll have the, you have the videos to do mm-hmm. and practice breath awareness. Just start with that. Play with it. Experiment with it and see what your value you get. Because you can, you can develop listening skills that are, will really amaze you. So one last thing about the diaphragmatic breathing. Why don't you just explain, I mean, many people are aware of what the diaphragm is, but just explain how it works well, and the, yeah. how, you, how you begin with the, the breathing. The diaphragm is a large dome-shaped muscle. When it contracts, it pushes down. That creates a vacuum in the lungs and it pulls air down into the all lower lobes of the lungs. Most of the blood pools in the lower two-thirds portions of the lungs. When you breathe with the chest, you're really aerating the upper two-thirds. When you breathe with the diaphragm, basically the lower two-thirds. Sure. So it makes breathing more efficient. That means your body's not working so hard. So instead of breathing 23 to 25 times a day, you're breathing maybe 10 to 13 times a day. Big change. Right or sixteen, uh, you know, around that big, big shift. So from a thousand, so you're talking about twenty four thousand breaths a day. Yeah. Versus maybe nine to ten thousand yeah. breaths. Right. About double the amount of breaths yeah. per day. So again, what's more efficient for what, my body? What's more efficient for the right. body? And actually, we started breathing that. We come. No infant breathes with the chest. It, in fact, they you, come in the world breathing through the diaphragm. They actually can't breathe with the chest until they grow a few months. Right. 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 The connections aren't made yet. So one last thing about that. So why don't you tell the listeners about the, the vagus nerve? What, what, how does that work? Well, the vagus nerve regulates your internal structures. Your, your, your uh, vagus nerve separates, like I said, into two parts. And it, it is site-specific. It innervates every organ in the body. And it comes together in a plexus down here in your solar plexus. And this is a power center, by the way. Um, in in uh, martial arts, this is called the Dantian in Chinese martial arts. And like we demonstrated yesterday, sure. you change the breathing, you can change what happens in Creates the body. Power. You can be. raise power, yeah, mm-hmm. if you had to. So when you normal breathing should be moment to moment diaphragmatic breathing. Okay. When you're out exercising and there's a greater demand on the body, diaphragm and chest will come in. One more thing, breathe through the nose. When you breathe through the mouth, we can demonstrate that you lose anywhere from 10 to 20% of your physical strength. Lose your strength. You lose your strength through mouth breathing. The nose is not simply twin exhaust pipes for the lungs. It's a highly innervated neural structure that patterns neural patterning throughout the whole body. So again, it's a, the switchboard, as you say. It's a switchboard. For the nervous system. Uh, the only direct link that the limbic system has to the outside world is through the olfactory bulbs. The limbic system. The limbic system. Isn't that crazy? Controls your emotions. Wait, it's very wait. crazy. It's right here. It's right here. <laughs> right here. It's so amazing. You're trying to create help with emotions. Yeah. You know, what if you learned how to use the limbic system correctly, right? Yeah, exactly. And it comes through the nose. It, it starts with the nose. So if you can get people to understand the science of the diaphragm, how it works, that dome-shaped muscle, and using the nose, then the next thing you know, it's almost impossible to have high blood pressure. I would say it would be rare. It, would, it could happen because of some other physical sure, condition sure. in the body, but you won't have essential hypertension. And then calming the mind and everything. I'm else a living example it. of that. When yeah, I came out of graduate pressure. school, I had I was labeled hypertensive, yeah. and I had bleeding ulcers. Within three years, they were completely gone. Mm-hmm. I haven't taken medicine for 50 years. Yeah, I remember you first said that. I had bleeding ulcers, and I had high blood, hypertension or high blood pressure. And- I, I'm a type A. <laughs> You're a type A, but we're in control. We're controlled type A. Am A's. I a type A? Oh, Oh my God. (laughs) 
Really? Right. Oh, I, I think, I suspect. Yeah, I, I really now suspect. You're, now you're talking, you're thinking about me. <laughs> yeah. Now I got the monkey mind. Yeah. Right? <laughs> All right, one last thing. Anything else you want to part with? Anything else you want to share? Because this is, again, a great conversation. We can go on forever. There is so much to the human being that we don't understand and we don't utilize. We are an incredible, powerful, joyful being, but we have covered it over with a lot of bad habits. That's mm. it. There is no ugly human being. There are only bad habits of mind and body. That's, that's just, I mean, that is so uplifting and uh, powerful to, to think that way. Uh, to act that way. Act that way. To have the skill. Act that skill. Why it shouldn't we skill. become skilled human beings? We need to be more skilled. Yeah. Anyway, thanks, brother. Thank you. Good to see you. Yeah, same here.